There's a great quote that I want to read to you by John Newton. He says this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's a great quote. He's saying that, you know, when I look at my life, I recognize that there's a lot of places in my life that I want to see growth. There's a lot of improvement. There's things that I want to see accomplished. And I'm certainly not the person that I will become on the other side of life as I meet my creator and as I'm glorified. But when I look at my life, I see God's grace because I'm not who I used to be. I've seen God grow me and change me and mold me. And then he says, and when I look at my life now, I see God's grace because I am grateful. I'm thankful that I am who I am. When I was reading this quote, I was very challenged because if you're like me, it can be really easy to fixate on the future. You struggle with that? You're always thinking about what you want to accomplish, what you want to do, what you want to improve, the growth that you want to see happen in your life. You're thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, what you want to see happen next week, next month, next year, next five years. And we're focused on making those things happen, accomplishing those things, seeing those dreams come to fruition, chasing down goals and completing them, that our mind is always fixated on the future. That to take a moment and to say, am I just thankful and grateful that I am where I am, that where God has me, I see God's grace. That can be difficult. Do I have any runners in the room? Runners, raise your hand. There's way more because you, I know you guys. There's a lot more. You guys are shy to raise your hands. There's a lot of runners in this room, and a lot of you guys love running, and here's why you like running. Not simply for the exercise, but I've been told that running is also therapeutic, Right? For you runners in the room, you go running and you get outside and you're so excited. And then when you start going, you get in the zone. You know, you get in the, you're just living in the moment. Your pace is strong and consistent. You don't even need music. You could run anywhere. And by the time you're done, you've run like six miles. And you're like, that was great. You're energized. I'm the complete opposite. I run to be done with running. Anyone else relate with that? Like I'm running simply for the result. Simply for the benefit. I just run to be done with running. There is no living in the moment. There is no in the zone. That is not a thing that exists with me. There is no, I'm excited about running. I'm like, oh no, I have to run today. I have to listen to music because music motivates me to run. And every time the song starts to lag, I change the song so that it speeds up because it's, my pace is the music. I also have to run around other people. I run at Brickle Key. It's the only place I run because everyone runs there. And I just tell myself, I'm going to pass the person in front of me. That's all I do. Listen to music, keep the music tempo high, and just try to pass people. So I'm just running as fast as I can, and then I'm done. I'm exhausted. It's been two miles. I can't run more than two miles. I'll die. It's just not possible for me because there's no in the zone. There's no in the moment. There's no like, yay, this is great. No, this is horrible. Because I'm so fixated on just the result. I'm so fixated on, you know, accomplishing that which I've set out to. I'm so fixated on following and chasing the person in front of me that I, I don't even know how to just get in the zone and run and enjoy it. It's impossible for me. And life can be like this, right? Life can be about just running after people, chasing people down, trying to pass people. You're never in the zone. You're not in the moment because you're just trying to be done 
with chasing of the thing that you're running after. It's the carrot on the stick, right? There's something out there you want to see happen. There's some growth. There's some improvement. There's some goal you want to accomplish. And your whole life is focused on just running towards that thing. And you're not enjoying it. You're just trying to accomplish. You're just trying to get there and to be done with it. So you're not in the moment. It's really hard to take a second and to say, I am who I am and I am thankful and that's God's grace to me that I am where I am. It can be really easy to be full of discontentment. In our series tonight, we've been going through this series called Face to Face with God and Jesus is going to encounter uh, a rich boy, this rich young man. And this rich young man has been running after something his entire life. He's been chasing different treasures And it's really hard for him to be awakened to the reality that he's been chasing after something that's destructive. He's been running the wrong way. And he's not living in the moment. So our our passage picks up this morning, or this evening, in uh, verse 18, it says this, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus is talking to a crowd of people, his disciples and other followers are listening to him, and, and this rich young ruler, that's his title, because we know that in other passages of scripture and the other gospels where he's identified as being young as well. So he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. He's got power and influence. He steps up and he asks Jesus this question. He wants to know, what does he have to do to inherit eternal life? It's important to understand a little bit of context about how this man would have been viewed. He would have been viewed as the envy of society, I mean, this is the person that everybody wants to be. He's rich, he's powerful, he's influential, and he's accomplished all of that at a young age. And how they would have seen him is as a man that you would revere, you would admire, you would honor, not simply because he's wealthy or that he has power and influence and so you have to kind of honor him or else you're afraid that something may happen but because he's a man that would have been regarded as having great character, strong morals, strong faith. Because there was this correlation that if you do the right thing, if you have good character, you make good decisions, you have strong morals, you have strong faith, then the result will be is that God will bless you with wealth or with influence, power, success. And so he would have been treated as somebody that is honorable. He has not accumulated his money like a tax collector who would look down upon because a tax collector would manipulate people and steal from people to get their wealth. No, this man is honorable. He's made the right decisions. He's done the right things. He has good character. And people would have seen him as a person that God has blessed because he's good. He's a good person. And this is not just a cultural sentiment 2,000 years ago, right? This is a cultural sentiment now. This is karma, right? Karma is Do good things now, make right decisions, be a good person, and it will come back to you later. If you do good things, if you make right decisions, it will yield good results. And so this man believes in this. He believes that he's been good and made right decisions, and it's obviously produced these great results in his life. And 
one of the things that is true if, you, if you've been in this culture and you've been processing this and you think about karma and you think about doing good things yields good results and so you fixate your life on trying to be good and making right decisions, what can happen is sometimes you can look at God and say this, what's happening? Like, where are you, God? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever looked at your life and been like, God, it's your move now. Like, I've been doing the right things. I've been making the right decisions. I've not been doing some of the things that I could be doing. I've been trying to have good, strong morals, good character. And it doesn't seem like I'm getting what I expect. I'm supposed to get the blessing now. You're supposed to reward me with success or with wealth or influence or power. That thing that I want, you're supposed to bring that now because I've been doing the right thing. And Jesus is going to break apart that assumption that good character is going to result in good things, and that's how life works. And so, but people look at this man, and he's, they, he's everything they want. He's rich, he's young, he's powerful, and he's humble. It's like this guy's a total package. He's got it all, because he comes up to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's recognizing that something's missing. He's like, I have everything. I know people tell me all the time that I have everything. I'm rich, I'm young, I'm powerful, I'm influential, I got it all, but something's missing. Jesus good teacher, you probably can tell me what is missing in my life, what I need to do. Notice his language. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, this rich young ruler is coming to Jesus with the assumption that Christianity is something that you add or do. It's something you add to your life or it's something that you do. And this is why he approaches Jesus like this. And I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey and and what you've brought in tonight, but it's very common to come to Christianity and to believe that it's just the missing piece. It's just something to add to your life. It's like your life is a living room, and you work really hard to get the right pieces of furniture in your living room. You, you work really hard to get the right couch and the rug and the coffee table and the side table and the lamp, and you put the pictures on the wall just like you like it. You even have the little bowl with the balls in it. Nobody knows why you need those, but you have that, you know? You've got that too. You've got it all. But as you look at your life and all the things you've acquired, the things you're looking for, you recognize, yeah, I mean, I could upgrade the side table, but I pretty much have it all the way that I want. At least I know where all the pieces are going to go because I'm working for this one and that's going to go right there. But when you really look deep inside, you recognize that something's missing. And so what happens is, is you can come to Jesus, like the rich young ruler, and you think, Maybe Jesus is the missing piece. Maybe Christianity or Christian faith is the missing piece. And I have a nice little shelf right here that I can just place him. Put him right there. It's like Jesus is a TV. I don't got a TV in my living room. Everyone needs that. You got a TV in your living room. It's going to bring everything together. I'm going to really enjoy my life then because I'm just going to add Jesus right here. And Jesus sees that the rich young ruler is coming to him thinking that there's just something to add. What he is speaking and saying is just something to add to his life. And so he says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. There's two things he's challenging right here, and one of them we're going to see in a moment. The first thing is he's challenging whether or not the rich young ruler believes that Jesus is in fact God. Whether or not he believes that he's actually God in the flesh, the Messiah. He's saying, the only person that's good is God. Essentially, he's saying, do you believe that I'm God? 
And he's also going to challenge his own goodness because he's been told his whole life how good he is. He believes that he's a good person. That's why he's generated all of this wealth and success and influence. And so he's giving him this little window into what he's going to say in a moment. Do you know that no one is good except God? And then so Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Remember, he's coming to Jesus thinking, what do I need to add? What do I need to do to fill that missing piece in my life? And so he says to him, I've kept all these things since my youth. The rich young ruler is so confused about what Jesus is doing. He's like, this isn't anything new. Like, I've been doing this. I've kept all the commandments. That's why I'm successful, because God's blessed me, because I'm a good person. I have good character. I follow the commandments. And so Jesus heard this, and he said to him, one thing you still lack. He's like, here it is. Thank you, Jesus. Give me the one thing. Give me the missing piece. What do I need to add? What do I need to do? Jesus says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. That was not what he was expecting, as you can imagine. You see, Christianity is not something you add to your life. You don't live your life neatly putting all the furniture pieces in the right order and acquiring all the things that you think are perfect, and then you have a nice shelf that you're just going to add Jesus to. When you come face-to-face with Jesus, when you come face-to-face with God, it's a whole new room. You're not in the same room anymore. It's a brand new room. All the furniture has been removed. Some of it gets brought back in. It's renewed. It's rebuilt. It's renovated. And then there's new pieces brought in. But the center of the room is Jesus. He's not on a little shelf. He's not the missing piece to add. He's not just something to do that's going to complete everything else that you've been working hard to attain. Remember a couple weeks ago in our series, Jesus comes face to face with a man named Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus at night. And he asks a similar question. How do I have eternal life? How do I enter the kingdom of God? I want to see the kingdom of God. Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus tells him what? You have to be born again. He says, you have to be made completely new. You have to be transformed. It's not something you can add. It's not something you can do. And this had to have been so difficult for the rich young ruler because his entire life has been focused on what he can control. His goodness he follows the Ten Commandments. He works hard. He's, hard. he's dedicated and disciplined in his career. He's stepped into the right relationships and taken advantage of the right opportunities to become a ruler where he's influential and powerful. He has believed, he has fallen into the belief that his entire life is centered on his own goodness, his good character, his good morals, and his actions. And so he expects for Jesus just to tell him one more thing to do. He thinks he's just missing something. One step he skipped. Or maybe he just needs to change something a little bit. But instead, Jesus gives him an impossible task. He says, sell everything and give it to the poor, and then follow me. Can you imagine how that felt? I mean, just take your situation. Come before Jesus, and he says, sell everything. How would you react? His first thought has to be, Wait, sell everything? Like, I need a little bit. Like, I got to eat. 
I got to pay rent. Like, I got to have a little something, sell everything. And then he says, the second thought I think he's having is, and give it to the poor? Because remember in the culture, if you're successful and wealthy and you have influence, it's because you've been good. Good people get good things. And, but the, result, the inverse was true as well. People that were poor were viewed as people that have bad morals, weak character, a lack of faith. And so God has not blessed them, which is why they're poor. That's what people believed. And so what Jesus is saying to him is, I want you to sell everything, everything you've worked really hard to acquire, all the furniture in your room. I want you to sell it, and I want you to give it to people that you don't think deserve it. I want you to give it to people that have not earned it. The people that others look down on, I want you to give all of your inheritance, all of your wealth to them. And when he hears this, it says that he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And that's important. He was extremely rich, which means it's not that he, 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 he closed a big deal and then he made a lot of money. No, he has been working hard to make more money and more money and more money and more money. He is extremely rich. Listen, this is the only passage, the only person in the Bible that is ever asked to sell everything. The only person. There's another story that's somewhat similar, a man named Nicodemus, he's vertically challenged, and he wants to see Jesus, you know, Jesus is a crowd around him, and so he climbs up this tree to see Jesus, and Jesus notices him, and so they start to talk, and then they hang out, and then Nicodemus sells half of his possessions, but Nicodemus was a tax collector, and he earned all of his money through manipulation and through stealing, And he gives half of his possessions away. And it's important that you understand this and that you hear this. There is no rule, there is no law in Christianity that you have to give everything away. It is not wrong to be rich. It is not sinful to work hard. It is not wrong to desire and to work for success. It's not wrong and sinful to have money. That's not what Jesus is saying. Not at all. So what is he saying? Why does he tell this man to sell everything and give it to the poor? Well, Jesus is doing two things. The first thing is is he's exposing his sin. You see, this man has come to Jesus on the basis of his own goodness. He thinks that he's a good person. And in comparison to other people, he's probably regarded as good. He probably has strong character and good morals. He's got strong faith. He makes right decisions. But the problem is he's face-to-face with God right now. And his goodness, when compared to God, does not measure up. That's why Jesus says no one is good except God. Jesus wants this man to see he's not as good as he thinks he is. You see, it's a really dangerous thought to come to Jesus on the basis of your own goodness. To think that because you're good, therefore God has to give you good things. Or that because you're good, God has to allow you into heaven. That good people get good things, that good people go to heaven. Jesus breaks that assumption. He's telling this man that in comparison to other people culturally is probably regarded as good. He's wanting him to see that he's not as good as he thinks he is. 
He has prided himself on that. He has followed the Ten Commandments his whole life. He said, I've kept all these things since I was young. And so Jesus essentially looks at him right now and he says, okay, let's just start with the first commandment. The first commandment is that you should have no other idols. You don't worship anyone or anything except God alone. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. Have no other idols. This man's come to Jesus. He's identifying him as a good teacher. He's probably thinking maybe this Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe he's God in the flesh. I don't know, but he's coming to him and he's asking. And he says, okay, let's test the very first commandment that you followed so well. Sell everything. And he can't. He says he walks away sad. Because as he's standing face to face with God, it's very clear that his idol is wealth. His entire life is focused on accumulating more and more and more wealth. His identity and his purpose and his dreams are wrapped up in his wealth and what he can accumulate in his life. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's exposing his sin, that he's not as good as he thinks he is. And he wants to break down his idols. And so he says in verse 24, seeing that he had become sad, he said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is not saying that if you have money, if you've been successful, it's impossible for you to follow him. It's impossible for you to believe. It's impossible for you to find eternal life and to be a part of the kingdom of God. He's not saying that. But he is saying that wealth has a power with it. It has a power and an ability to mask the reality of your sin and your brokenness and therefore to mask your need for Jesus' goodness. Because what happens when you're wealthy, when you're successful, is everyone tells you how good you are. Everyone tells you how smart you are and how wise you are and they want you to write a book or a blog or do a post to help other people become successful because you're so good and you're so great and look what you've accomplished. And what does that do to you? Like, No, I am good. I am great. So you come to Jesus on the basis of your own goodness and this is the trap of wealth. This is why wealth can become an idol that becomes a demon. It's a demon that haunts you and drives you and manipulates you to believe things that aren't true. And what Jesus is doing here is he's looking to smash this demon in this man's life that is haunting him. It's driving him. There's a really important detail in the Gospel of Mark as he tells this story. He says that Jesus looks at the rich young ruler, and when he tells him, I want you to sell everything and give it to the poor, he, he adds this. He says, Jesus looked at him with love. It's not like Jesus is looking at this man like, oh, look at this hot shot. He thinks he's so good. Watch this. Everybody, watch this. I want you to sell everything. He's, no. He's not coming to him out of spite or anger. He looks at this man as he looks at you and me and he sees our heart and he says, I want you to sell everything and give it to the poor because I want you to see the reality that this idol has become a demon in your life and it is destroying you. It is controlling you. It is manipulating you. It's not wrong to be wealthy, but it is really dangerous when your idol becomes a demon that controls you and it wants to destroy you. Your, in, your identity and your purpose and your dreams are wrapped up in this money? He wants him to see that. 
the reality of his sin and to smash his demons. And, you know, in our culture, in America, the demon of wealth is a very prominent demon, right? Our identity and our dreams and our purpose can be wrapped up in the wealth that we've acquired or the wealth that we're trying to acquire that we think is going to provide everything. But it's not the only demon. And Jesus here, as he looks at this rich young ruler to smash the demon of wealth that's been controlling his life, he looks at us and he wants to smash the other demons that control our lives. There's another demon that's very prevalent and that's the demon of romance. Where your identity and your dreams and your purpose are wrapped up in getting married or fixing your marriage. And it haunts you. And you're utterly terrified to come before Jesus and for him to smash that. For him to say, are you going to trust me in your singleness? Are you going to trust me in your marriage? Are you willing to be patient in your singleness? Are you willing to be patient in your marriage? That's terrifying because it's painful. And we walk away a lot of times sad like the rich young ruler because it's controlling us. It's fueling our anxieties and it's creating this lack of contentment in our life and we're unable to seek God's grace. We can't say I am who I am and it's God's grace in my life and I'm thankful that I'm not who I used to be because we're just thinking about what we want to be, what we want to see happen, what we want to see fixed. And Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he wants to smash the demons in our life. Maybe your demon is a demon of affirmation and recognition. Everything in your life is about receiving praise from other people. So you'll do whatever is necessary to receive that. Maybe it's the demon of image. You want to project a certain image. You want to look a certain way. Maybe it's the demon of sex. Maybe it's a demon of comfort. This life that you think is just going to provide for you everything you want. Once you get there, you're going to be happy and everything's going to be fulfilled and the room's going to be perfect. Jesus looks at us regardless of our demons and he says, I want you to see your brokenness and your sin and I want you to be willing to lay it at my feet. I want you to be willing to surrender it all. And when he looks at you and me, he knows that it's painful. That's why he looks at us with love. He's not looking out of spite or anger. He says, I want you to know that I love you and I don't want this thing to control you. Your identity, your purpose, your dreams are wrapped up in this thing and it's going to haunt you and it's going to destroy you. Will you surrender it all to me? You see, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus did not encounter the Jesus that he expected. He expected Jesus to just say, oh, well, here's your one step. Here's the one thing you need to do. Here's the one thing you need to add. Instead, he comes to Jesus and his sin is exposed and the idol that's become a demon in his life has been smashed and he walks away sad. You see, Jesus constantly is exposing our sin and our idols and our demons. He will break your expectations. He will challenge your presuppositions. He will ask things of you that are terrifying and painful to lay things at his feet. But he does so with love because Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. And sometimes he has to shake us awake to the reality of the things that we're giving power and they don't deserve that power. We give all these things power in our life and they don't deserve it. And so these desires that are natural desires of a human heart have become demons in our life that are controlling us and haunting us. And Jesus comes to us and he says, 
Don't allow that to happen. Let me smash it. Give it to me. Surrender it to me. Root your identity and your dreams and your purpose in me. There's a a very simple question that this passage is asking, which is this. Is Jesus your treasure? We're all chasing different treasures. Our heart is fixated on them. Our mind is fixated on them, and we run after them. It's where we find our identity. It's where we find our purpose. It's what our dreams are made of. And Jesus is asking, am I your treasure? Because when Jesus is your treasure, here's what happens. He takes all the other small t treasures and desires in your life. And he renovates them. And he rebuilds them. Because he loves you. And he wants them to be in their proper place. And see, here's the thing I was thinking, is that there's no reason that we shouldn't trust Jesus at laying everything at his feet. We should trust Jesus when we surrender it all. We should be okay with him exposing our sin and smashing our demons because Jesus has given everything for us. Jesus laid aside the treasure of heaven to become a human being. And he gave his life for you and for me. So that as he comes forth victorious, he invites you by faith to receive him as your treasure. He laid aside the treasure of heaven so that you might receive him as your treasure. And guess what? We are the people that do not deserve it. We haven't earned it, and yet Jesus has sold everything and given it to us. We should trust him and know that he loves us. And I love how this passage closes. Jesus It's so encouraging. He says this. He says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children or any treasures or any desires for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, we live in a culture that says, just do good things and get good things. And Jesus says, give your life to him and trust him. Give your desires to him and trust him. He's going to rebuild and remake your life. And it's going to be for your good because he loves you. So here's my prayer. My prayer is that tonight you don't leave sad like the rich young ruler. But instead you leave renewed and surrendered to Jesus and full of hope because he is your treasure and you know you can trust him. Will you pray with me?